0: Well, we are in this series uh, called Life Beyond Existence, and it's all based off of this one verse found in John 10.10 that states that the thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy, but that Jesus has come so that we can have life, and not just any ordinary life, but life to the full, or life abundantly, or life beyond existence. And so we've been looking at these very uh, key areas in all of our lives where the thief is trying to steal, kill, and destroy, and where God is saying, no, you can experience life right here on this earth to the full in these areas. So several weeks ago, we looked at relationships. And for all of us in this room, like relationships can bring so much joy and passion and love into our world, but yet they can be devastating. Like, when you have fractured relationships, the tension that rises up, and God just simply said to us to experience life to the full here on this earth, you must extend forgiveness to those around you. Not because they ask for it. Not because they've earned it. Not because they've done and said all the right things for you to say, I forgive you. You extend forgiveness and you wipe out their debt. Because you realize what God has done for you. And you realize the forgiveness he's extended you. And you realize That the debt you've racked up against God, you could never pay back. And so, God says, you forgive. Last week, we looked at uh, that area in all of our lives, the secret. The decision that we have made or are making right now, those things that we don't want anyone else to know about. And the reality is, what you have concealed will eventually, at one point, be revealed. It's just a matter of when, matter of how, and that all of our decisions that we make, they don't just impact us, but they impact everyone who's relationally connected to us. Our sin, our addiction, our choices, our mess-ups, the things we have concealed impact everyone connected to us. Well, today we're going to look at another major area. That we all struggle with, we all deal with, and uh, uh, a bill of Christ is something we all would love to take. Like I know, in the laughter, everyone's thinking, "Oh man, if they if they could actually produce that, that would be amazing." And we come to church. And for some of you, this hour is like that one hour where you can walk in and you can kind of forget about your life and you actually have some peace. But you know, as soon as it's, it's done, you walk back out the doors and life crashes in on you. We all have worry. We all have stress. We all have pressure. We all have fears. And I started thinking through my life. and I got some very rational fears and I got some very Uh, irrational fears. And what's great between the rational and the irrational is, as I read on this whole uh, uh, thought process of anxiety and worry and depression and, and fears this week, I realized, because all the experts said that your anxiety or your fears, your worries, they can be both rational and irrational, and that's okay. I'm like, right on, I can have a a whole list of irrational fears and I'm okay by the experts. So I started thinking about some of my irrational fears. I'm not sure if these will be the same for you, but they are for me. One of my irrational fears, it always hits uh, when I'm on the highway going about 70, 75 miles an hour. And I'm in my car and this irrational fear just consumes me. And this is what it is. Chris, when was the last time you've checked the lug nuts on your tires? Have you ever thought that? I've never once actually made sure they were tight. But isn't that important? And then I started thinking, what if one of my tires pops off because I haven't checked the tightness of the lug nuts and the tire rolls in front of me? What am I going to do? Now you're all going to go home today and guess what you're going to do. And I know if you're in the room today and and you know anything about cars or you're a mechanic, you're like, that's ridiculous. The lug nuts just aren't going to unscrew themselves. And I They might. Who knows? Another one of my irrational fears. And I don't have a fear of flying. Not at all. I have a, I have a fear of the pilot or the co-pilot having a bad day. <laughs> have you ever had that moment sitting on the plane before they, they close the cockpit doors and you see the pilot and the co-pilot and you're staring in through that door and they have all those knobs and buttons and lights? I mean, a lot. They're overachievers when it comes to knobs and buttons and lights. And you're just thinking, what if they forget one switch? What if the captain or the pilot is distracted that day? What if the pilot left his house and his kids were screaming and his wife was screaming and all he was thinking about was screaming and he forgets to flip the one switch? I have that that, that fear every time we're 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 going to land. I don't have a again, I don't have a fear of flying. I have a fear of landing and the landing gear not coming out. Or not all the landing gear coming out. I mean, you need all of the tires out to land properly. I mean, I I prefer not to skid down the runway. I've uh, found a a new found, uh, and maybe this is irrational. I think it's very, very rational. You might put it in the irrational column, but I have this new rational fear. Uh, It's called the fear of New Jersey. It's real. And I know when we first got here, some of you know the story, when we first got, there, got here within the first two months, we experienced an earthquake that's never happened, and a, a, a hurricane that some of you have said to me, oh, Chris, they downgraded it to a tropical storm. I'm like, no, they did not. I don't trust that person, whoever made that decision. It was a hurricane, and a freak October snowstorm that left us without power for six days, and fireplaces aren't that effective. Last week, my wife picks up a newspaper, and you know what the headline on the front cover of the newspaper said? Record levels of pollen. My my car is covered with this yellow stuff. My daughters, their eyes are all puffy and swollen and nasty. We're sneezing all the time. I'm like, really? Record levels of pollen? How in the world could this all happen within the first year? And then my mind starts kicking in going, what else is going to happen? Because everyone says, oh, this never happens. I'm like, of course it never happens. So I'm literally thinking that one day there's going to be a volcano that erupts in my backyard. And you all are going to say, oh, that never happens. I know. And when it does happen, you'll remember my words. Oh, we thought he was crazy, but there's now a volcano in the back of his yard. But we all have these fears, don't we? Whether they're rational or irrational. And what's amazing is Jesus hits right on this issue. Found in Luke chapter 12, he just goes right at it. Which What's great about it is sometimes we think that like our issues in 2012 are just very you know, uh, focused on 2012, our life. But in all reality, worry and stress and fear and anxiety, it's, it's been going on since the dawn of mankind. And so Jesus comes right out in Luke chapter 12. And what we're going to see is kind of three different sections. One is he's going to kind of give us this command, which is going to sound real irrational, but he still gives us the command. He's Jesus. He's God. He can do that. Then he's going to hit on three very specific areas that are transferable to us today. You know, several thousand years later. Then he's going to give us a solution. And I'm just going to give you a warning. First of all, it's his solution. So you could... Uh, possibly get mad at me. I'm just the messenger of his word, okay? That's important. That will come back. Second of all, I I promise you that his solution to your anxiety, your worry, your fear, potentially might create some worry and anxiety and fear within you. How's that? So that's going to be his solution. So I forewarned you that his solution is coming, and it's going to come out of left field. You're you're probably not going to see it coming unless... You've read Luke uh, chapter 12 recently. So here he starts in verse 22, and he gives a simple command. Do not worry. Do not worry about your life. Life is this big umbrella word that I'm thankful that Jesus used because he didn't want to take the time to list out all the, the worries of life. He just said life, your finances, yeah, don't worry. Your, your marriage, don't worry. Your kids, don't worry. Your job, don't worry. Your retirement, don't worry. Yeah, life. Don't worry about it. But then he adds on in verse 32, another command. Do not be afraid. And here was kind of a new thought this week, because I've always kind of separated fear and worry out from each other. Because I'm a guy, I'm never afraid of anything, right? I'm manly, and I'm sure a lot of you are like, yeah, I'm never afraid. I'm not afraid, but think about this. It kind of comes back to that old adage, the chicken... Uh, and the egg, which one comes first? Who knows? We could argue in circles. I just think they both appeared. It's like the chicken fell and the egg was beside it. I don't know. But we have both, and I'm thankful for chickens. They're really good. <laughs> worry or fear, which one comes first? And What you worry about? What keeps you up at night? What sends your heartbeat racing? what sends you into the cold sweats, what you worry about is what you are afraid of. And what you're afraid of of is what you will worry about. You see, fear and worry are so interconnected. For all of us. And Jesus kind of hits on both of those. Don't worry and don't be afraid. You know, out of all the commands in the Bible, and there's a lot of commands in the Bible, that's why I'm personally very thankful that Jesus kind of said, okay, I get that there's a lot of commands, so I'm just going to bring them down to two, love God and love each other. I'm like, I can memorize two. In the first five books of the the Old Testament, there's uh, right around 613 commands just in the first five books. That's a lot. But the number one repeated command in the entire Bible is do not be afraid. Do not fear. Fear not. It's an age-old issue. No matter what society, what culture, what continent, what's going on in the world, it's something that mankind has dealt with since the very, very beginning. And Jesus comes out, and he goes, you know what? Don't worry. Don't worry fear. So let me ask you this question. What, what do you fear? I mean, we could spend hours just thinking through all the different areas that might impact your life. I mean, it's a job. For some of you, this whole uh, presidential election cycle, I mean, November's coming, and you have a lot of fear of what might happen, and what could happen, and what government's going to do, or what what are they not going to do? And how is that going to impact the economy? Which just leads into another fear. What about the economy? And every time you turn on the news, it's like the, 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 the world is coming to, to, to an end, and it might. And you start going, well, how does that affect my job and my life? And for some of you, uh, your comp- company is downsizing, and you're, you're, you're fearful. You, you worry about when, when is it going to impact your area, your job. For some of you, you're you're the one doing the downsizing. And you're having to sit down with, with with husbands and wives, men and women, and look at them and say, Your job's done. And you're creating the fear. And you no matter how much you try to disassociate yourself from that, right. You can still sit there going, Man, I, I understand where they're at, because you're thinking about your job and your world and what's coming your way. Maybe for you it's marriage. And you've barely limped through 2011 and you're looking at 2012 and you're like, I don't know if our marriage, our relationship can handle it and the impact for you personally and the impact on the kids and the impact for everything. And there's a lot of fear and concern. For some of you, you're in a dating relationship and you know that it's not a healthy dating relationship, but your fear to never marrying and never having that soulmate and being alone is trumping your rationale that you know that the person you're with isn't healthy. Maybe it's kids. That's a big thing for me. I I have two beautiful daughters. And I was sitting at at lunch this week. And uh, this guy was uh, telling me how his his teenage daughter was asked to prom. Oh. I started having a lot of irrational thoughts. I started thinking about, I'm at least six years away from having to deal with this. But I found myself going to a very dark, dark place. Like, what am I going to say to that young man when he knocks at my door to pick up my daughter? I started thinking about uh, uh, how I could communicate to him in a very vivid way that that, uh, his fingers are disposable. So if he touches her in a wrong way, I thought about, I'll stop there. I I had a lot of, (laughs) I started having all of these fears just well up inside of me going, I'm going to have to deal with this one day and I don't want to, deal with it. For some of you, it's finances. For some of you, it's health. I mean, the list goes on and on, but we have fears, and the reality is not all fear is bad. It's not like there's just, you know, if, if you're fearful, if you're worrying that that's all bad. It's when it controls you. It It's when it debilitates you. It's when it consumes you. There's some good friends that they uh their son just got back from Afghanistan, a nine-month tour. Man, they were fearful. I was fearful. I, I, I was fearful. I, I'd known him since he was like two. All right? There's a healthy amount of fear. You know, first day on the job, there's a healthy amount of fear. If your teenager uh, just got their driver's license, all of us in this room are fearful. I, was, I went to the gym yesterday, and uh, after the gym, I, I picked up pizza for the family, which both of those really go together. You go to the gym and then eat pizza, right? It's great. I was like, I just worked off those calories. So I'm coming out of the pizza place, and there was a student driver. Of course, I knew that because they had it like plastered all over the car. And it should have said, no, really, keep off the sidewalks, the roads, go inside. It's safe. And uh, so we all have a healthy amount of fear. And here's all fears, all worries really come down to this essential piece. We have the fear of either losing control or being out of control. Let that rest for a second. Because it's easy to go, no, it's not. Think about all of your fears, all of your worries. It all comes down to control issue. There's a piece outside of what you can do anything about. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's a financial sh- issue. Who knows what that might be? And see, what happens is this. The fear in your mind, the worry in your mind, comes out in the anxiety in the body. It's amazing how God developed this. What's The fear that's rolling around in your mind, your body's going to reflect that. I started reading through a list of symptoms when it comes to anxiety. And uh, it, was, it was a real humbling moment because I was re- reading through this list and I found myself like pausing going, well, okay, how many of these can I have and not be bad? <laughs> how many of this list? Like I-, I felt myself going, yes, yes. Listen to some of these. Feelings of panic, fear, and uneasiness. Uncontrollable, obsessive thoughts. Yes. Nightmares. Problem sleeping. Yes. <laughs> Cold or sweaty hands and her feet. Well, I was running, but uh, yes. Shortness of breath. In the sophomore year in high school, I went to the doctor and I was diagnosed with stress-induced asthma. And literally, uh, when I get stressed, I, I can always tell. And because uh, I'll... <gasps> I find myself doing that. And so they gave me an an inhaler to help it out. And I finally just gave up on it. And I'm like, it doesn't help. So I found other ways to deal with it. Rapid heartbeat. Yes. And the inability to be be still and and calm. Yes. (laughs) Maybe this needs to turn into a counseling session for me. (laughs) Can we do that? We'll just like stop here dry mouth muscle tension dizziness like you start thinking through like i'm sure if not all almost all of you you're you're hearing those those symptoms and you're like yeah yeah so jesus gets in he goes he makes this like the statement this command don't worry don't be afraid which all of us were like okay god that's great but is that is that reality Well, he starts jumping into three very uh, critical areas in all of our lives. So the first area is this. We find it in in verse 22. He goes, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. What he's saying is, first, do not worry about your current realities. And he, he specifically picked on food, which... For most of us in this room, uh, you eat very well. But 2,000 years ago, uh, they didn't have grocery stores. They didn't have Costco where you could buy a, a, a 10-year supply of ketchup. They didn't have refrigerators that you open up and you go, wow, there's nothing to eat. Do you find yourself doing that? Or like, there's no room left in a refrigerator, but I still go, there's nothing in there. But 2,000 years ago, they didn't know where their meal was going to come from. They didn't know every day if they were going to be able to eat. Their current reality was truly about life's needs. question for you is, what's the current reality right now that has you scared, that has you worried? For some of you, it is finances. You're not sure how you're going to pay. You're not sure how you're going to care for you're not sure how you're going to be able to cover rent for some of you. This week, my wife called me. She was at Costco buying another year's supply of ketchup because we need more. And uh, a lady, uh, kind of two people ahead of her in line, literally had this moment where the total and the amount of money in her hand didn't m- match up. And she had to come up with six dollars six for some of you right now you go i i understand what that feels like for some of you you have no six dollars is nothing for you but for some of you and my wife watched her look through her cart and it wasn't like her cart was filled with you know a bunch of stuff and a 50 inch uh, uh tv and she can't pay for her food no it was filled with necessities And she literally grabbed a container of kiwi and said, I think that's worth $6. For some of you, that's your current reality. For some of you, it's job related. For some of you, it's health concerns. Right now, you're waiting for the test results. You're waiting for the medical experts to try to figure out or sometimes guess with what's going on with you medically because they're not sure. And that's your current worry. Well. Jesus wanted to make sure that he was extremely clear. And so in verse 24, he kind of gives this illustration. He says, consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. It's interesting that he picked on a raven, a very specific type of bird. Because if you think about ravens, they're not cute and cuddly. They don't have a a, a real beautiful chirp. They're like scavengers. They're dirty and and nasty, and they look really diabolical. Like, they're evil birds. And Jesus was saying, you know, even the ravens, like, there's no one ever who ever said, I would like a pet bird. Can you give me a raven? And Jesus said, even those birds that no one wants, and they're scavengers. Guess what? God feeds them. And guess what? How much more valuable are you than a raven? And God still cares for them. And so I want you to know in your current reality, you have to trust that God's going to care for you and that God's going to provide for you. Well, Jesus goes on. In verse 25, he says, And who are you by worrying can add a single? hour to your life. There's these moments in the Bible where, 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 where God, Jesus, so, someone makes these simple statements that you're like, yeah, no, duh. Like, did you really have to state this? Well, so this is one of those verses where you're like, yeah, I, get, I, I can't control time. I can't uh, add hours to my life. I can't do anything about the future. Like that's out, outside of my control. I get that. I can't add to my life at all. And no matter where you went to school, no matter what your field you're in, I think we all could go, yeah, that's a no-duh. no, no duh. But there's these other points, especially when Jesus is talking. And so many times we like to think of Jesus as this meek and mild and kind and compassionate individual. He is. But he's really sarcastic also. And I love these moments where you kind of sense Jesus' sarcasm because he kind of asks this rhetorical question, like, I know you guys get this, but all right, you can't add an hour to your life. You get this? Listen to his sarcasm here. Since you cannot do this very little thing. Here's sarcasm. Hey, I'm God. You're not. For me, time easy. For me to control time easy. For me to influence time easy. It's an easy thing for you. You can't. And he ends by saying, why do you worry about the rest? Which leads to the second area. Do not worry about future obstacles. So many of our worries and concerns today have so much to do with the future. And Jesus was saying as clearly as he could, hey, you can't control the future. You can influence the future, right? You can work hard. You can parent the best you can. You can influence your kids. You can be in shape. But can you really control the future? No. You read the story. The marathon runner who goes out for a run, and he or she has a heart attack? They're really in shape. And they've influenced their body. But can they control their heart from ceasing? You can be the healthiest eater ever. I mean, no gluten, no meat, no anything really good for you to eat. Like You can be that person. And guess what? You still get cancer. Influence your life, yes. Control it. You can be the best parents ever, but guess what? Your kids are still going to make their own choices, which I think is one of the most difficult things as a parent, isn't it? Oh, I hate it. At one point, my kids, I'm going to have to let go. And it's coming quickly. And all I pray about is that my wife and I have done everything we can to raise them as God-fearing, God-loving individuals. But they're going to have to live their own life. And that's what Jesus is saying. Hey, yeah, you can influence your future, but you can't control it. It's outside of your hands. Then he gets into kind of the third area of our lives. In verse 29, he says, And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And then quick blink, you're like, well, didn't he say that back in verses 22 and 23? He's repeating himself, but he's not. And he does something amazing. And it's going to be a whole other area that affects everyone in this room. I'll get to that in a second. So he said, Don't be afraid, sorry, and do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. And then verse 30, for the pagan world runs after all such things and your father knows that you need them. Okay, there's these pieces here and as you start kind of painting the picture, you start realizing what Jesus was saying. First of all, the pagan world or the pagans, like you might quickly look at that going, man, that's not a real nice thing to call people pagans. If I walked up to someone and said, hey, you're a pagan, I might get hit. But Jesus was addressing a a very specific crowd. And he was trying to to quickly paint this picture that there's a group of people people that only loved God, that worshipped one God. But all of culture and society around that worshiped many, 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 many gods. And he was saying, okay, there's a group of people that worship the one true God, and then there's the pagans. And they worshiped all these other gods. So there's two groups of people. So he was saying, hey, there's a group of people that you're doing life with, that you live next to. And they have a whole different set of values. And when he said in verse 29, do not worry, it's a completely different word, worry, than he used in verse 22. This word means to raise up. Or suspend in the air. Or to elevate. You're saying, you know what? There's other things that society, that culture, think are important. There's other things that people around you are going after. And they're elevating. And what I'm saying to you is don't elevate those things. Because he ends by saying, God will provide for your needs. God will provide for you. So what are the things in your life right now? Creating stress and worry because you're trying to keep up with the Joneses. Because you're trying to portray a life that the culture you live in, the society you live in is screaming you should become. And God's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You should have a different value system. You know what's interesting? I read all these statistics this week, and the World Health Organization uh, estimates that about 50% of all adults in developed countries, because worry and stress and anxiety is only a developed country issue, like the United States, which that's fascinating in and of itself. 50% of all adults will one time have what they call mental Ill- illness. And the first time I read mental illness, I thought, straight jacket. I'm like, Really? I'm going to be in a straitjacket one day? That's awkward. It's any type of anxiety, depression disorder. And right now, at any given time, so all adults, uh, 50% of all adults will one time have one. Right now, at any given time, 25% of all adults are dealing with it. But this is what was fascinating to me. Parents, listen up. When you take the adult statistics... And then you start looking at what they did in the teenage world, 13- to 18-year-olds, guess what lines up? 50% of all teenagers, 25% right now. And I sat there thinking, guess what? Parents, guess what we do to our kids? The things we worry about, the things we stress about, the anxiety we put on our kids. And we start looking at the culture we live in and we go, well, well, that family, their kids are doing this and that family, their kids are, and that family, their kids, and my kids, they have to match up and they have to get into those school, schools and they have to have those test scores and they have to be involved in. And, and guess what we do to our kids? Now, do we want our kids to be successful? Absolutely. But think about the amount of pressure and stress that you're transferring because you're trying to keep up with a society that has a different value system than God wants for you. And then Jesus gives us a solution. I warned you. This is going to be one of those solutions that that you know, the symptoms that I read, like rapid heartbeat, sweaty hands. You might feel But I hope you know that what God's trying to say to you right now, I hope you listen to and and not just dismiss. Listen to his solution. Verse 31. But seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Meaning, you keep your eyes focused on God. And you seek after what God seeks after. And you value what God values. And you care for what God cares for. And you keep focused on him. Okay? first Step one. Here comes the right punch. Ready for it? It's coming. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. There it is. I'm coming back to that. (laughs) Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes comes near and no moth destroys for where your treasure is there your heart will be also <sighs> solution live a life of generosity give sacrificially what Jesus said, his words, not mine. I didn't add those verses, by the way. They're really in the Bible. And you might want to sit, sit there and go, "Like, really, Chris? That's going to get rid of my worry. That's going to get rid of my stress. That's going to get rid of all the things going on in my life. Really, if I just give, is that yes? You know why?" Because what Jesus is saying is if you get your eyes off of yourself, if you get your eyes off of your self-centeredness, and you start looking at God and reflecting who God is and seeking who God is, and that's going to force your eyes off of yourself and onto others. And if you live a life focused on others, your issues and your stresses become really small. As my wife was sharing with me this story about her moment in Costco with tears in her eyes, she said to me, she goes, Chris, I'm watching this lady humiliated. Uh, The lady standing in between my wife and this other lady, you know, had that disgusted look on her face and was doing the, "Uh, uh," you know what I mean? That moment. The teller was just like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And this lady embarrassed, humiliated Trying to figure out what she was going to take out of her cart for $6. And my wife's sharing the story, and again, tears in her eyes. She goes, I, I opened my wallet, and she goes, I never have cash. And laying right at the very top of my wallet, I found a 10. She walked up and she handed a 10 to this lady. All week, I've thought about that act of kindness. what that did to that lady. But then I started thinking about what God did inside my wife. When we get outside of ourselves and we give, what Jesus knows is what we treasure is connected to our heart. And God is after your heart. Because once he gets your heart, and your heart is in his hands, you realize you're not in control of your life. And you start trusting him more. So what does that mean? I have two simple challenges. First one is this. We've been talking since January, you know, every weekend, almost every weekend about giving and renaissance. And I know that's made some people uncomfortable. But we've used this line. I've used this line. Oh, as I almost fall off my stool. That'd be awkward. Uh, But we've used this line. It's not what I want from you. It's what God wants for you. And I know there could be moments where you're sitting there going, oh, that's a great little sales pitch there. Way to go. Way to brand that line. It's real. I mean, it's in moments like this. When guys... When God's saying, no, really, I want you to give generously. I want, to, I want you to give sacrificially. And there's no greater place than the church. And I'll say as boldly as I can, why would you want to give anywhere else? Jesus came and died for everyone. And the vehicle to proclaim that message The vehicle to shape culture. The vehicle to impact people. The vehicle to help the poor. The vehicle to give hope in a world that's lacking hope. The vehicle is the church. So why would you not want to give anywhere else? And if you have an issue with renaissance, awesome. Go find another church accomplishing those things and give there. I'm fine with that. Because I know God wants your heart first. And there's something about when you give sacrificially with a heart of generosity and you let it go outside of your control, we like to even control where our money goes. Every month, I see on my bank statement, twice a month actually, 15th and 30th, our gift, not so much to Renaissance, but our offering to God. And I sit there just going, God, okay, that's yours. I don't control it; it's yours, and I know you're going to use it and bless it. And I want to challenge you that. With that, you can go online, click giving on the back of your or the front of your your your, your bulletin. There's a QR code. You can read about it. But I want to challenge you: start giving to God, and and don't control it. And for some of you, the first time of doing that. It's going to create a lot of anxiety. And that's good. Second thing I want to challenge you with. This week, God's going to put someone, a person, an incident in your way. I just know he's going to. Do a random act of kindness to someone you might be driving to work and you see that person off the side of the road trying to figure out how to fix a flat. And your first thought is like, why did you wait until now to figure out how to fix a flat? And then you're going to start thinking, well, I'm dressed up really nice. And then you're going to hear my voice. Oh, dang it, I got to pull over now. God's going to put something in your way. And could you imagine if every single person in this room now Did the simple, random act of kindness to someone where you gave sacrificially to help someone? What's going to start happening within, within, inside of you? What God is going to start doing inside of you? It's going to raise your eyes off of your worries and your stress and your anxiety, and it's going to start focusing your eyes upwards and outwards, and it's going to take your issues. And it's just going to start making them a little smaller. If you want to decrease your stress, decrease your anxiety, try what Jesus told you to do. Start learning how to live a life of generosity. And watch your entire world shift. Try it. Let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this time. I thank you for uh, your word that convicts and your word that speaks loudly and your word that uh, is truly there to help us experience this life to the full. Lord, I, I pray. Because uh, I know what will happen. When people start giving their treasure to you. Whatever that might be. What you want to do inside people. And that's how we get to this life to the full. In your name I pray. Amen.